On Thursday the 14th of February, in an informal talk with the priests of Rome, Pope Benedict, one of the few surviving participants at the Second Vatican Council, spoke of the difference between what happened there and how the media presented it. Former head of news at RTE, Des Fisher, was also a witness to this major event as a journalist for the Catholic Herald, and in an exclusive interview with the Godslot, he gave his interpretation of the Council's work, with some insights into how the young Joseph Ratzinger developed into the man we know today. Des began by recalling the importance of the council to him. I have always regarded as the best thing I've ever done, the best work I've ever done, the most interesting I've ever been at and the most effective thing and most important thing in my life as a Catholic. And I found that the answers were coming there. I was finding things I had thought about in the past coming out now and being explained and being dealt with. And I found it very, very giving me a lot of uh, great ideas and great satisfaction. We didn't expect to be welcomed by the, the church, the institutional church, because we knew that the cardinals, the curia, had fought very hard against having the council at all and then wanted it to be just one year only. When John XXIII put it to them and announced he was having the council, they sat around in a heap and nobody said anything to him. He was very disappointed by it. He said he felt very let down by them, not getting up and putting their arms around his neck and saying, great, we love the council. They didn't want a council. They fought it all the way through. Well, one of the cardinals who was enthusiastic about the council was Cardinal Frings of Cologne. And he had asked, he had made a submission which was written by Joseph Ratzinger and that's how he ended up at the council. Yes, well, I think that uh, Ratzinger, uh, Frings was trying Ratzinger out. uh, Ratzinger was the youngest of the professors in the University of Bonn. So Frings tried him out by giving him this text to write, but he was asked by Siri to give a talk in Genoa. He asked Ratzinger to write the speech, and every word of it he said, Ratzinger said, was spoken by Frings. Uh, he didn't know how it went down. But sometime later, Frings got an order from Rome to come and report to John the Twenty-Third. So he went... And when he was there, he he brought a secretary with him and his vestments and uh, came and asked the secretary to put them on him and he said, uh, put them on very well. It's maybe the last time I'll get them on because I might be sacked now because they said things that the Pope didn't like. But the Pope came and put his arms around him and said, great, that was great. I'd love to have said the, the the way you put it. It was very good. So that's why Frings then took on Ratzinger as what they call a paritus at the council, an expert witness, and he was put on the dogmatic commission uh, and was a very progressive theologian. Ratzinger was a friend of Hans Kuhn, and Hans is now, of course, the great bad progressive. Well, Hans told me himself that uh, Ratzinger was quite progressive in his ideas at the time. And and when the council was over, Hans Kung told me now he got him a job in 
the university at uh, Tübingen and that uh, during the council, if I go back a bit now, Ratzinger had written a little booklet after each of the sessions and all of these ideas that he put forward in the books were very progressive. He thought that Rome was far too centralised, the Vatican was far too centralised, that the Pope's infallibility was an, ob an obstacle to ecumenism. He thought the bishops should be regarded as having their office by divine right, not by, they're not, were not agents of the Pope. And generally speaking, he was all for the laity. He was very progressive, according to Kung. And then, when he was teaching in Tübingen in 1968, when those riots were happening in the universities in America and in Paris, they also spread to Tübingen. And during his uh, lectures, his pupils took against him and gave him a terrible time. And he was very frightened. I think Ratzinger is a very quiet, gentle man, and he was frightened by what was, and he left. And became, overnight practically, became a very great conservative. Now this is Kung's version of it. I don't know how true it is. But it seemed to me, as it turned out, uh, Ratzinger turned a U-turn completely in 1968. And do you think he's frightened now? I think he's frightened of his own incapacity to deal with reality. The thing in Rome now is that the Curie is running, as always has run the place completely. There's a scandal there, as we know. Ratzinger can't handle it. He's afraid. He's been attacked, I'm quite sure, on all sides. He doesn't know what to do best for the good of the church. And I think it is for the good of the church, as he sees it, that he has resigned now, pleading uh, ill health, and that he wants to get out because he just can't take it anymore. And what did you make of his remarks to the priests in Rome about the Second Vatican Council, and in particular about the reaction of the media? I thought it was ridiculous, the uh, attitude that the media, the media was uh, anti everything that was happening. The media reports what happens. The truth is that the church was divided. It mightn't have realised it at the time, but the effect, the cumulative effect of what all the French and German theologians had been teaching ever since the 40s, the 1940s, were now taken on by the Council and were passed by the Council. and. That was the, the mood for many of them anyway when the council started. I, do, I think about one third of the bishops, I would think, were fully in control of what was the mood of the time. I don't think the Americans, for instance, or the Africans or the South Americans were up with the play of what had been happening in Europe for 40 years before the council began. He used the word profane, that not only did the media approach it from a secular point of view, but almost disrespecting the sacred and the divine. The Pope talks about hermeneutics, 
which means the way things are interpreted. And he seems to believe that the, the journalists have this hermeneutic of opposition to everything. I don't think that's true. I think s serious journalists think seriously and write seriously and write what they see, certainly is what I did and what a lot of the people I met there did. They were very fine journalists and they spoke as it were. We got meetings with the Pariti, the theologians that were advising the council, advising the bishops. We had meetings with the bishops themselves. I entertained cardinals and bishops uh, and got stories from them. I was very, say, I won't say very close, but I was friendly with Cardinal Sunins and he talked to me about the council and what had happened. I knew Cardinal Alfred of Holland. I knew the Cardinal of Vienna and we got stories. We knew what was happening. I mean, I knew that Card that Sunans one night went to the Pope and said, if you don't step in now, we, meaning the progressive crowd, will leave the council. The other bad side, as I would say, the curious side, at one stage tried to stop the council too by just not coming to the meetings and all the rest of it. And Sunans, as president of the council, had to take very serious steps to make the council work, and did. And he was the architect of Gaudium et Spes, one of the greatest constitutions of the council. And he was, I think, in my mind, a very, very fine uh, representative of the church. The, the trouble was that the council passed these, in my mind, very fine uh, constitutions, and they were left to the curia, to edit, and the bishops came back and did nothing, waiting for Rome to act. Rome delayed and delayed and delayed. The bishops came back and nobody came back and said, great things happened in Rome, a wonderful new spirit has been coming to the church, we're in great things are going to happen now, we must be prepared for doing our bit to put forward the church. They just said, there'd be new rules coming out and you'll have to obey them. Now this was a terrible thing to say to the people that were longing to be led, given their head properly to do their work in the council. Laity want to do work for the church. They want to feel part of the church. They are now just hanging on with no great ideal put in front of them except to follow the rules. That is not what lay people want nowadays. They want a meaning in their own lives, they want the meaning of the Christian church to come into their lives and animate them and stimulate them and make them do what they want to do and they're not given that chance. There can be no hope for advancing the church until the power of the curia is bottled and stopped and power brought down decentralization of the church is absolutely necessary and the bishops who are the church in their diocese must be given far greater freedom to act. One thing that Ratzinger said when he was uh, a progressive was that the 
liturgy should be much more taken over by the, the laity and it should be in their language. Now he's given us this dreadful new liturgy we have nowadays that nobody likes, priests don't like, the people don't like. So what would you like to see coming out of this conclave? The conclave to elect a new pope, I would like to elect a young, virile, uh, open-minded pope who will take the curia in hand and there are a lot of popes before this have tried to tame the curia and have not succeeded. The power of the curia, which is really very bad for the church, must be stopped. The pope must be given more authority to do it, to do the right thing and to deal directly with the bishops' conferences. The bishops' conferences need to be strengthened. The bishop in his own diocese needs to be strengthened. The laity needs to be strengthened. The power must be distributed around the church far more than it is at the moment because as long as it's there and what they call creeping infallibility has permeated the curia, the church will not make any progress at all. Des Fisher, who very kindly welcomed us into his home for that interview and we wish him the best of good health. And on this historic week, that's our programme. On Sunday night on RTE1 television, Would You Believe has a profile of Oz Guinness, radical Christian thinker and one of the boys from the Black Stuff and, as he puts it, one of a long-established tradition of Guinnesses for God. Your comments are always welcome. You can contact us on 01208 2039. Email us at godslot at rte.ie or write to us at the Godslot, RTE Radio 1, Dublin 4. So until next Friday at the same time, Gugudi Jeshif.